Hello and welcome to the Ragtop Club podcast. It's a bad time to be English. I won't go into it. Safe to say that England have lost the ashes again to Australia. That's a cricket competition. Five matches, each five days long, and we've lost 4-0. Ouch. Of course, there are lots of legitimate excuses, but never mind those. Well played, Australia. But just you wait until next time. Then we will really get our own back and take you to the cleaners. Anyway, how to cheer ourselves up. It's a tricky one. Losing the ashes to Australia is a biggie. I don't know what the equivalent is for other nations. Maybe for France it would be losing the title of world's best winemaker to Germany. That's how much the ashes matter in England. That little urn, the smallest sporting trophy in the world, lost again. At least... Owing to commercial concerns, it's never very long nowadays until the next series. But to cheer us up, what about examining the sweeping curves of the Allard K1? These babies have a wafting airshipian zing, although later we will be forced to ask an aesthetic question. Is all that frontage too much for the baggage of the car? Launched in 1946 along with the J1, the K1 was a two-seat sports car, designed by company main man Sidney Allard himself. He had built the first Allard Special in 1936, followed by several successful one-off competition cars, which he raced in hill climbs and trials. During the war, he maintained jeeps for the government on a large scale, and afterwards he made the decision to raise the stakes and go into production. The K1 was similar to the company's M, L and P models, though with a shortened chassis. It didn't weigh much, and with a war surplus Ford 3.6-litre V8 at the front, it knew how to go. Output was 30 HP, which sounds a bit like an underpowered pushbike, but it took the car to first in the Lisbon Rally in 1947. That race had 173 competitors, so I think we can say the Allard was a bit special. Designed as a car that could be raced, the centre of gravity is low and storage space is on the low side and hard to access. Allard had perfect understanding that a sports car is to get you from A to B, ASAP, with no need for more than a toothbrush and a spare pair of goggles. The K1 was made until 1950, with 193 examples coming out of the factory, located for a time on, believe it or not, Clapham High Street, Production followed the Allard policy, which I shall quote verbatim. The aims of the Allard Motor Company are, as they have always been, to produce high-performance cars and to sell them at the lowest possible price consistent with limited and specialised production. As a private company and a family concern, we have no necessity to constantly aim at increased turnover and profits in order to satisfy shareholders whose natural interest is in dividends rather than in motor cars. With their wide, bulbous wings, they must have looked like extravagant Martians invading the narrow roads of post-war Britain. Which brings us to the question, are those wings too bulbous? Are they too exaggerated, too stuck-on, too frankly preposterous? I think the answer depends on the angle you choose to view these cars. From most angles, the cars look well-proportioned. But from the front, if you stand dead ahead, 
as though you were about to get run over. Then the tripartite wing, bonnet, wing expanse is too bitty. It doesn't have a design that sings together and feels unified. Rather, it feels like an indie band with several members who are not sure if they still get on with each other. I love the hyperbole of old car adverts and think we've been robbed by the legislation that insists on things in adverts actually being factually true. Just listen to this cracking opening sentence from a 1948 Allard advert. Whether you live in Scotland, the USA, China, Africa, Europe, or anywhere in the world, the Allard is the ideal car. Sorry, I laugh because it's quite a claim. The Allard is the ideal car because it offers a combination of features which make it suitable for use under any conditions. That is a cracker of hyperbole. So what are these features that make it ideal anywhere in the world? The advert continues. These features include a reliable, large-capacity, multi-cylinder engine capable of many thousands of miles without attention and nine-and-a-half-inch ground clearance, strong but lightweight chassis, independent front suspension, excellent rolled holding and streamlining, first-class workmanship, excellent bodywork, powerful brakes, comfortable seating and exceptional safety. To finish, there are some more violently overstated claims. In fact, no other car in the world combines to the same degree the Allard's vivid acceleration, superb rolled holding, powerful braking and unfailing reliability with worldwide service for its Ford engine and gearbox. Unfailing reliability. Wow, that's quite a claim. Allard was one of those who go into car building to subsidise their racing. This, of course, is how it should be. Even today in Formula One, the teams that are there to race have a romance about them that eludes the manufacturers that are only racing to sell their products. It probably seems a small difference to many, but it's a vital difference and shows that Allard was one of the good uns. So these were cars with competition in their DNA, looking a bit peculiar, but winning racist. Today they seem to be around the $100,000 ballpark figure to buy, though there aren't very many of them around. Would I give one garage space? Of course.